we must give you the disclaimer. Uh, Mr. Shepard is tonight in one of his sickeningly whimsical moods. We would like to suggest for the uh, for the good of your own taste, and, well, probably a lot of other things, too. Uh, you better just slide right on down the dial with this uh, we, we prefer to keep a few friends. He's in one of those sickening moods. You know. I have a quote, Ogden Nash. Go on, that's a bad stuff. Oopsie, oopsie, Sickeningly whimsical. Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, the whimsy of the world here, we'd like to uh, salute uh, Mrs. Mary Byes, who lives in Springs, South Africa. A lettuce-loving mother figures that she has eaten more than 15 thousand heads of lettuce in seven years. And that uh, we quote her to talk about your hang-ups, Dad. We quote her, says, I could not live without having my lettuce every day. Hey, I uh, must have lettuce. I'm in bad mood all day long. If my husband uh, doesn't buy me flowers, I don't need flowers. He brings me home a beautiful head of crisp lettuce. I've eaten 15,000 of them in seven years, and I'm just beginning. Just. All right, let's go. Come on. Let's salute that old doll out there. Oh, nothing like a little lettuce. You can sit here and scoff to your bird. Flies out. Yes, Hey, that's not bad, you know. I must admit that. You know what I like? I'll tell you, uh, I'm not a lettuce cuckoo particularly. I, you know, I'm come see, come saw about lettuces. But uh, is it lettuce? Or is it lettuce? It doesn't sound right to say lettuces. No, no. So we'll say it's lettuce. Uh, Lettices. Now, that's better, lettuce. So, uh, you know, a little, little classical Latin here, lettuce. So, uh, 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 <laughs> I hope to you. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, I'm not much of a lettuce man. One way or the other, I've been. Now, I, I've never just been hooked on it. But you know what I love? Cabbage. Oh, I like cabbage. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I like cabbage when it's... Uh, you take a cabbage, see, and you just lop it right in half. Don't break it up. Just lop it right in half, you see. And you put it in a great big kettle, see. With that, cover it up with water. And then you put the, about 19 slabs of the bacon in there. See, and you boil that with a little, just a touch of, just a little touch of garlic. Just a little weezy bitsy wits. Just a little bit there. And you put pepper and salt in it. And you boil that, see. You boil that until that lettuce is tender. Ooh. And then you take the lettuce out, see. And then you put a little pat of butter on each half. And you have got something that is so great it is O-B-S-C-E-N-E, obscene. You don't mind if I throw an extra C in there, do you? Obscene. But the it is terrific. Oh, don't you know what obscene is? That's one of them Yugoslavian spaghetti dishes. Obscene palata, they call it. Uh, yeah, well, it's terrific, yeah. It's uh, made out of almonds and grape juice. You just crunch it away there. But uh, nevertheless, uh, what the, what the, what a dish that that... <laughs> I'm getting all, uh, you know, gee whiz, you know, you get carried away by uh, thoughts of cabbage. And I like cabbage uh, raw. I like it raw. And I like it... Oh, uh, what are we getting into here? This is silly. Now, here, here, here it is. I told you I was in a terrible, whimsical mood. Speaking of... Uh, oh. Oh, no, no, I can't tell you that. 
I can't tell you that about the three Polish cowboys. I just can't tell you that. No, no. Not on the air. Oh, by the way, for any of you who would like to know, however, who the three Polish cowboys are, I would be delighted to send it to you if you're over 21. If you're over 21 and you're a bona fide sociological student, we can't just send this out to anybody. And uh, particularly if you're Polish, you'll want to know because you want to know about, you know, national heritage and all that stuff. So uh, send me, uh, just send it to, to uh, Ski, that's all. Ski, uh, S-K-I, Ski. Uh, you send it here in charge of this station, and we'll send it to you in brown sieve wrapper. We'll also send you, uh, uh, no, I, I can't tell them that one. We'll send you the secret of what is a Polish sport coat. We'll send that along, kind of like that one. But, uh, you know, these, these, these things, uh, you know, we, we don't want to get carried away. We don't want to do a serious show here tonight, no. Oh, by the way, speaking of serious things tonight, uh, would you please give me a little more of that razzmatazz music? We'd like to start a new sport that's sweeping the world. to salute, uh, of course, the sports, the world of sports is getting more exciting every day, what with uh, you know, all the new stuff in sports. Oh, yeah, you know, it used to be guys, uh, there were only two or three around, it was Fred, Al, Big Greasy, th- no, no, that's another kind of sport, uh, but there were only uh, two or three types of sports around, guys played football, or they played baseball, or, uh, you know, there was the other sport that you see in the Swedish movies, that was about it. But uh, there's all kinds of new sports now. And uh, I wonder how much of it has to do with television. Because, uh, you know, the wide, wide world of sports is always searching out great new sporting events, like swimming underwater in the mud in the Everglades for grandmothers over 74. Yeah, Oh, yeah, they had that. And uh, have you noticed that every sports announcer on that show is named Jim? And they wear these blue jackets, and Jim Jim keeps turning it over to Jim K, and Jim K keeps turning it over to... Jim Fred, Jim Jones, and they keep going back and forth to Amish Garten Pierkin, where they're having the uh, one-legged stilt-hopping contest, which is traditional. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the 1953 Dodge Wrecking Contest. And, uh, oh, that's always a good one. Yeah, well, that's much different, you know, than the 57 Chevy Wrecking Contest. And, uh, oh, yeah, very different specialty, a whole new different class. And it all comes out in bright, clear color. And uh, the newest sport, I'm, I can hardly wait for this one to show up on television. A couple of weeks ago in Wisconsin, several male members of the Milwaukee Skydivers Club dropped from 14,000 feet or thereabouts. Uh, <laughs> they dropped and made a jump wearing a pair of boots, a helmet, a parachute, and a frozen smile. Nothing else. New parachute jumping. It's the newest big sport. Now, uh, why? Well, don't, why? Why do guys walk around with little sticks hitting balls, little tiny balls into 
little holes. I mean, who knows why? Why does everybody go ape? Because uh, Ruan Svoboda uh, can hit a little ball over the thing out there. I don't know. No, there's no why to sport, Dave. You don't ask why. I mean, I, I can simply ask you if, uh, if you're going to get miserable like that and ask those questions. Why? You don't come up to a sports announcer and say, why, why, why? Why? I can say why about everything, you know. Why? I mean, why do we sit by the, you know, by the thousands with our mouths hanging open? Because some guys rubbing a piece of string over a piece of cat gut. And that people write long reams of stuff about it. Why? I mean, why? I mean, it's a good question. Why? <laughs> all right. So, all right, they're doing it. But I could just see, you know, this presents a tremendous idea for the wide, wide world of sports. Nude parachute jump. Of course, then they have mixed doubles. Then they have teamwork. And uh, then there's the junior miss classification. It's just groovy. Sounds like a fantastic. And you can combine everything. See, and of course, like uh, all good announcers, Jim Jim would not, he would not uh, talk about the real thing that's happening. Like, for example, when they're doing a race. Have you noticed when they're, when they're doing these big races, of, uh, these big tracks all over? You never hear uh, old big Jim there who's doing the play-by-play for the Wide Wide World of Sports. He always says, uh, there goes Mario on running. Wow! He's running number three in his Lotus horn. There goes some blah, blah, blah. There he goes. And he never tells you, of course, that the real secret why everybody's out there, they're waiting to some guy will go right through the fence, trailing smoke. But he never says that. It's as if we're all interested in the national point ratings. <laughs> well, now, I can just see Big Jim Jim. This chick jumps out of this uh, Cessna at 3,000 feet, and the zoom camera picks her up. And, of course, then they got a they got another Cessna flying. one picks it up from that angle. Somebody picks it up from another angle. And there it is on the screen, the brilliant color. And Jim Jim would say, and there goes uh, Lesbia O'Toole. She's number seven, as you know, in the National Point Championships in the uh, in the skin diving parachute uh, jumping contest. She's uh, doing a beautiful figure eight. There is a, oh, what a beautifully, can, oh, look at that magnificent uh, number six semi-barrel slip roll. And now she's approaching the target area. It looks like it's going to be a good jump. And the, oh, yes, she just landed a beautiful landing there. And uh, that was a magnificent jump. That's good for 974 points at least. And now uh, that puts her in second place in today's standings. And uh, and now we take you back to Jim Fred and Garmisch Partenkirchen, who is giving you the skin diving uh, uh, skiing contest that's going on out there, and it's the under 15 year old girl division. Now, bring it in, Jim. And uh, this is exciting television. And uh, yes, and there was a little piece in Newsday about it. That's uh, you know Newsday, the magazine, the paper out here, in the, out here on the island. that says uh, a couple of weeks ago in Wisconsin, written by Irma Brombeck. She writes a little play, see, about this thing, Irma Brombeck. It says, a couple of weeks ago in Wisconsin, seven male members of the Milwaukee Skydivers Club dropped into the Running Bears nudist camp wearing a pair of boots, a helmet, a parachute, and a frozen smile, nothing else. Law enforcement officers satisfied themselves that as long as the skydivers landed in a nudist colony, they were breaking the law. Well, I'm not so sure. Does does the nudist colony own the airspace up to, they say, 8,000 feet above? I mean, just as easy enough, you know, nice little old ladies out there tooling around in her Cherokee with her 
you know, with her son-in-law, who's the nice Methodist minister down there from this nice church. Down. They got the kiddies off for an afternoon drive, and the uh, ch- sudden three guys go whistling by. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I mean, you know, I just you can't uh, can't uh, can't get away from it. That man is uh, doing everything he can to break the monotony of being alive. I mean, <laughs> now wait, now now, did you know that the? I shouldn't bring this up. I won't. <laughs> I stop it right there. I will not. Do you know that there's a club? No, no, I won't. No, no. There's a club that has to do with uh, things like that. In fact, uh, I ran into this club here recently, a couple of months ago. It's a club. These are the kind. Of, this is the kind of thing. I'm, I'm serious when I say this. This is the kind of thing that that the 50 years from now, 50 years from now, people are going to be writing about this period. They really are. This has to be one of the most fantastic periods of, uh, you know, of, of, uh, of the 20th century. I'd say from about 1965 through now. It's, it's gonna, it, it really is going to be written about, dissected. Uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, I used to get all kinds of books mailed to me by publishers and stuff, and I still do, as a matter of fact, but for a while there, do you recall just a few years ago when there was a tremendous amount of writing about the 20s? That uh, they were always writing about the Roaring Twenties, and uh, as if that was the most fantastic, uh, uh, wild time in the history of America. And they were always writing about the Twenties, writing about the crazy stuff they did, like, uh, oh, you know, the flagpole sitting, and and the guys that would uh, eat goldfish and go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel, and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, that stuff now seems unbelievably tame. To the, you know, to the wild stuff that's going on now. Because, you listen, nobody can tell me that Flagpole City is anywhere near as nutty than nude parachute jumping. I mean, that, that, that has to be. Can you imagine a guy making a really bad landing in a bramble patch or something? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and and, and the, the, the thing that even gets funnier about it is obviously the guys that are doing this stuff, you see, uh, the guys that are doing the nude parachute jumping, that they're going to have one hell of a time years from now explaining to other people around why they went nude parachute jumping. It's going to be a very tough to explain. Just like, did you ever meet a retired flagpole sitter? I did. Yeah, we had one in our neighborhood. There was a guy when I was a kid in our neighborhood who had been a famous flagpole sitter. You know, did nothing. Just sit on top of flagpoles and got to be a celebrity for Got famous for just sitting around on his, you know, <laughs> on the top of flagpole. And people would come from miles around to see him. And uh, he was retired, though. Uh, did you ever meet a retired Filipino yo-yo champ? Did you know that there were yo-yo champs all around, and uh, they they would work in the in the windows of the Woolworth stores? You see this guy with the with a T-shirt and would say "World's Champ Yo-Yo," and zing zing zing, he's got 19 yo-yos going. He had them attached to his feet and his ears and everything else, and doing over and under and loop to loop and barrel rolls and all that stuff with the yo-yo. Well, now that takes a great deal of uh, concentration and work, and then one day, no yo-yo. What does a retired yo-yo champ do? 
walk around and rest on his laurels? You don't have many laurels to rest on when you're... Or, or as I say, uh, remember here a couple of years ago when everybody was skateboarding? Well, there were skateboard teams. They went out and did formation skateboard work, and they had the national championships where they would give guys gold medals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know where, they, where retired skateboard guys go. And so There must be a special junkyard heaven. You know, kind of a special heaven. Well, of course, there's a whole thing about under... I shouldn't even say underground. Let's say uh, subliterate sports. Yeah, subliterate. There's a... Uh, it's really a kind of a, a, an under, under culture of sports. Uh, you know, there are certain people... Uh, and I don't know what it is, how they get drawn into that, but there are certain people who have no interest at all in any kind of legitimate sports. They, they, they couldn't care less about that pro football, basketball, hockey, that kind of stuff. But where do they go every night? The roller derby. Yeah, they love to see the uh, the San Diego Rockets and the Chicago Bombers. <laughs> and there's about 28 girls named Tuffy at the Corky, and they wear football helmets, and they skate around and, and forever and endlessly. Uh, or is it my impression that there is not such a real thing as the roller derby. It's only on late, 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 late television. And it's done in a studio someplace. But uh, nevertheless, there are people who are fans of this. And yet, uh, they are very closely allied. The same people who like that stuff also go great for things like, uh, oh, the, the chain gang wrestling team is going to take on the seven zombies tonight. And uh, it's a big team wrestling tag match held in mud. And uh, furthermore, it's all dwarfs. Yeah, they go for this stuff. <laughs> That's a special type. He, you know, he goes, one day he goes to the roller derby. And on uh, Tuesday, he goes to the team wrestling gigantic uh, uh, tag team Amazon match. Big Bertha is wrestling uh, uh, Goldilocks McGurn. At the, in a ladies' team wrestling. Oh, and he gets all excited about it. He takes this seriously. Have you ever watched any of those uh, of those really... Uh, they're, they're fascinating to watch, these uh, uh, kind of borderline television shows. And always in the middle of it all, the announcer, he's interviewing next week's wrestler. I've watched these things. And he says, you know, a lot of guys say that, uh, that this guy, Tornado McGonagall, is good. Well, I want to tell you, and he looks right out at the camera. I want to tell you, Tornado McGonagall, you're going to talk out of the other side of your mouth when I get you next week. I'm going to tell you, you. Uh, I heard what you said in Cleveland last week about me. And, uh, you know, Jim, you know what he said last week? He says that he could tear me from limb to limb. We'll see about that. And I want to tell you fans out there that when next week, when I, when I, Tarzan McClunsky, Take on Tornado McGonagall. You're going to see more. I'm just going to break that guy in two. He won't never be able to wrestle no more after that, right? Well, the people who sit out there and really take it seriously, who think this, say, oh, wow, boy, I can hardly wait to see Tornado McGonagall. That's going to be a rat. Boy, I'll tell you, next to the roller derby, Tornado McGonagall is fantastic. And then... There are all kinds of subliminal sports like that. Uh, among others are uh, people who go to see uh, uh, donkey basketball games where uh, donkeys run around and throw baskets. 
<laughs> well, no, seriously, they're the same people. And that's uh, a very special... And they're the same guys, of course, who never miss a demolition derby. They're at every... If you know what a demolition derby is. Oh, they love demolition derbies. Because actually, they're, they're usually the type who are in their own demolition derbies. You know, they're out there, you know, banging into people in their 53 Ford and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, fist fights and all that type. And uh, this, this is a special, <laughs> a special crowd of guys. And they even have their own fan mags, you see. Oh, yeah, the, the, the wrestling fan mags. It shows uh, on the cover. It'll show a guy dressed like a gorilla. And underneath it says, Exclusive! The real identity of Gorilla McClonsky, the tornado of the Hungarian rings. And underneath it says, yeah, and color pictures, of course, big spread. And uh, uh, I, 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 this is a special, a special word. Yeah, these, these people, invariably, this type of guy, this type of person, also goes very heavily for astrology, uh, tea readers, chiropractics, uh, <laughs> I mean anything that's and uh, oh they they're they're uh, oh yes uh, continually going on a uh, a diet of uh, of celery juice. And it's a very it's a very special crowd of people. It is. I'm not putting it down. It's very special. Of course, it's it's easy enough to get into this kind of thing because because uh, after all, we're all uh, secretly waiting for some giant nailed fist to come out of the sky. You know. <laughs> Oh yeah, everybody. He, everybody secretly knows, you know, that uh, he keeps ad-libbing his life. And so, some guys, uh, their life makes sense by going down and watching the Team Dwarf wrestling tag match done in the mud. Uh, another guy makes it by going sitting and watching Isaac Stern play Prokofiev. And I'm not putting anybody down because you know <laughs> we're all in it together, man. Another guy goes down and watches the Four Slobs with some lots of rock audio. Uh, yeah, another one goes to Swedish movies and uh, thinks he's going to the cinema. Another one goes to the uh, stag films at the American Legion Hall there on a Saturday night at 3 o'clock in the morning. And everybody's trying to do his thing. You know, everybody's trying to work his own little shtick there. He's trying to get, you know, make it work. And you can't you can't put anybody down. I can't, personally. I, I, I never can put culture hounds. I can take them. I can't take them seriously. And uh, culture hounds come in many different directions. They, first of all, they're very intolerant. And uh, and a culture type. Of course, everybody, even even the most cultured type people, they have their own little thing about sports. They they uh, their idea of sport, of course, is to read George Plimpton. Uh, George Plimpton, who writes about pretending he was a chess master and playing Bobby Fischer. And that's uh, that's their way of getting the vicarious kick, the in. And yet, at the same time, they're admitting. You see, they they don't want to admit that they like chess or golf. What you like is literature. And so, uh, <laughs> if you can get uh, a recognized writer to write about the Slav world, which is the sport world, uh, according to most culture people, then you've got the best of all possible worlds. You got it going both ways. But the but the uh, little sneaky, uh, little sneaky fears that most people feel, like the other day. See, I'm sitting in the barber shop, and uh, this guy's clipping my hair, going around the back there, and I have the Times, and I brought it with me here, see, because it was a great uh, cover of the Times. It was a Monday, you know, it was a Monday, and I got the Times, and on the front page, there's a picture 
of this thing. The smoke is coming out of it. Do you remember that front page article in the Times? I'm quoting now. It says, Earth crack peril growing in coal areas by Ben A. Franklin, special to the New York Times, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mrs. Mary Pat Cabbage could not open her front door to go to church last Sunday morning. It would not budge. Across the street, Mrs. James Abbott was preparing hot cereal at her stove when her kitchen began to tilt toward the backyard. A two-inch crack opened in the wall next to her refrigerator. The crack zigzagged from there down the south side of Jackson Street in Scranton, parting foundations, tilting stoops and porches, twisting and bending houses, splintering wood siding and plaster walls, rumpling linoleum and opening fissures in yards. This great crack that's heading towards an abandoned coal mine. And it's just a big crack in the ground. And here's a picture of a guy standing here looking at it. And listen to this. This is why people are vaguely afraid. Have you noticed that all of us, that there's a great deal of excitement about space exploration? Everybody is interested in space, even if he puts it down. Because he can see it. You look up and you can see the, the stars and the galaxies. You can see the heavens out there, see? Right? And so it isn't really that mysterious, because you can see it. And, and people are even interested in underwater exploration. I know, skin diving. Did you read that great piece a couple of weeks ago about the treasure diving off the uh, Florida Keys? Did you read that piece? The tremendous treasures that they know are down there? These great Spanish galleons? Well, that excites people. Because we can see the ocean. That's a little scary, but not mysterious. Well, it is mysterious, but not frighteningly mysterious. There are certain areas, though, that people never talk about. They never discuss. Like the Earth. Have you ever wondered about what's just below your feet in the earth itself? I mean, right down there. You couldn't raise a thin dime for earth exploration because people are scared of it. Oh, the earth is connected with a lot of things. Being under the earth. And here's a picture in the Times that shows this man standing outlined against the sky. And you see all around him, you see this mist rising and a crack in the ground. Smoke, sulfur fumes, and steam rise over fire in an abandoned mine near Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. The soil is so hot, 1,000 degrees, that at times only hot water runs from the faucets in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. A great raging fire below the surface of the earth. Do you know how hot a thousand degrees is? 
thousand degrees the soil is. It just keeps going on and on. Well, now, when you think about the earth, down inside that earth, there's this great ball of totally molten core. The earth is like a giant golf ball. It's got layers. And down beneath one of the critical layers is that hot, molten, fantastic innermost core of the earth. Oh, there's been a lot of scientists who are constantly fascinated by it, and they're always trying to trying to get people to throw in a couple of bucks in the hat to send down a big, deep bore, you know, to drill down through this, this, uh, this special core. I don't know what the, uh, what the various levels are called, but there's one level that they've never been able to reach, and I don't know what the deepest that they've ever bored down into the earth. It's a couple of miles, maybe, but that's not much when you stop to think that the earth is uh, how many thousands of miles through. It's a tremendous piece of uh, real estate here. So they haven't really penetrated far into the earth compared to how far we penetrated into space. Now, stop to think of it. We've already gone to the moon now. It's a quarter of a million miles away. And the amount of actual penetration into the earth has been minute, tiny, compared to uh, the earth itself, what can be penetrated. Well, this, this vague sense of fear about the earth is never said. It's unspoken. And I think it goes back into so many of the depths of our soul that, uh, that probably even now listening to this, uh, a lot of people are a little, a little disturbed because the earth is connected with many things. For one sprang from the earth. We did not spring from space. We sprang from the earth. And for that reason, it's connected with the origins of man. It's connected with the origins of all animal life that came out of the earth. And hence, it's also connected with the end of animal life. If anything creates something, it also is the end of it. And so maybe people, maybe people think of, of the earth that has to do with graves and it has to do with, uh, with death and life and all oh, much, much more profound things probably even than space. And you know, once in a while, have you noticed that there's all kinds of myths about the earth? S strange. It's like, like uh, underground myths. There's a sect of people, for example, a cult. You probably run into this. There's a cult of people who believe that the earth is hollow. And they believe that uh, inside the earth is a whole other world. No they, no, they really believe this. I'm just throwing it out. I'm not saying whether it's true or not. Obviously, uh, a geologist would laugh at this. I'm simply telling you what people believe. They believe that there's that there's a, 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 a it's hollow. That, that the Earth is like a light bulb, and that inside the Earth is a is another sun, and uh, that sun heats that area down in there, and that there are seas and there are continents and everything down inside, and that that. Uh, that it is peopled by another race of people that originally lived on the top of the earth like we do, but because they realized that the earth was going to handbasket, uh, yeah, that, they, that they went down somehow, they got down, and I, and I think it has to do with the Antarctic or the Arctic, I'm not sure, but uh, they were able to get into the interior of the earth 
and they have been completely cut off from the outside world for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They lived down there. And, uh, and, and there are people who really seriously believe this. You've probably seen ads for that. It'll say, uh, uh, the secret book of hidden secrets. There'll be an ad. It says, did you know that uh, an explorer in 1908 uh, discovered the secret passageway in the North Pole where the people who live within the earth, the subterraneans they are called, uh, gain access to the outside? Have you read that stuff? Get this secret hidden information. Not everybody is ready for this information, which has been suppressed by the, the ages. You read this stuff. Uh, there, there are also people who believe that uh, we are constantly being visited by visitors from subterranean life, and they come up through elevators. Did you know that? People believe they come up through special elevators that are in major cities all over the world. And looks like any other elevator in a building. And you see this guy come out. You see this guy come out. You know, he walks out of the... Out of, no, close the door, Bill. Thank you. He walks out of the building. You think he'd... No, come on, Bill. <laughs> you know, they're delivering the uh, delivering the ice here for the 23rd floor. And, uh, but this, this is fascinating to me about, about the, the, the various cults about the interior or the subterranean parts of the earth. And, of course, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons for this. And I, I, I uh, the living, of course, if you live in a city, you don't know about these things. Because I think uh, a big city, uh, the one thing that a big city does, it gives, it gives people a, a feeling that, uh, that there's no such thing as nature. There's only the mayor. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a force of nature. I wonder how many kids uh, who are protesting really are kids curious about that and uh, they, they believe that everything stems from the mayor and what they call the establishment and uh, well, it's, it's very common here in New York that uh, oh, a couple of uh, months back in fact last winter why the city almost uh, they were practically ready to lynch Lindsay because it snowed he really got bugged he really lost that one up and oh uh, well, sure people here in this town they believe these things strongly it rains, they look out and say, Wow, they're out in the city of New York. Look at this. Somehow, it's raining on New York. And that shows that New York has failed again. Well, now, uh, it's easy enough then to transpose yourself and to believe that people also create human nature. See, we're part of nature. That's a hard thing to accept, boy. And uh, since we are part of nature, we are this thing. Now, we can fight against it, but we are this thing. So to believe that, uh, that it was the system that created sneakiness in people, it was the system that created the cruelty in people, or racial prejudice or bias, is to not understand man at all, Fred. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you. If you really believe that a system creates greed, or a system creates uh, evil, friend, you got yourself a real... Uh, well, I should say a shock of uh, disillusionment coming. A real shock of disillusionment. But that, that's very natural. I mean, when, when you live in a, in, when you live in a, in a city-urban situation where almost everything can be controlled, a kid can live almost his entire life living in an air-conditioned world where it never snows and it never gets cold, never gets hot or humid. You dial. 
or turn it down. He gets in the car, and he never even sees money. The old man's got a credit card. You don't worry about that either. You drive down the street, they fill up the gas, and that's the end of it. No problem. So ultimately, you have a, 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 there is an illusion that's created. And the illusion is that everything can be controlled. And when it isn't controlled, somebody loused up. Somebody. Yeah, we're living in, a, in an age, I think, of the universal blame. Uh, we're living in an age of, of total, uh, well, not guilt, because nobody will accept guilt. But let's put it this way, total, uh, I suppose you can say, accusation. There's always somebody or something that is responsible for everything that happens. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't think if you live outside of the city, you're as prone to be like that. Because there are too many things that happen in your own world that uh, you know, you just know, that, that are out of control. Have you ever noticed the strange look in the eye of airplane pilots? Well, a lot of people think they get that way from looking into the sun, squinting into the, you know, this romantic thing. Well, I'm an airplane pilot. And I can tell you that airplane pilots have that funny look and that strange kind of humor that they all have because they know there's better and bigger. I shouldn't even say better. Let's put it this way. More things out there, more gigantic things than Lindsay. <laughs> And the innocence of people who read in uh, magazines and newspapers about airplane crashes, they just think that an airplane crash, somebody loused up. Oh, no. A lot more going in that world, friend, than that. And, uh, in fact, uh, uh, sailors, too, have the same look in the eye. Deep water sailors. Because one day... The big water just makes a big sucking noise, gone. Or that great big wave comes out of the west, whomp, gone. Who loused up? It's academic. If that, in fact, it isn't even academic. And as that hulk, that twisted steel hulk, goes drifting down to the green depths, Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Until finally it settles into the silt 2,000 feet below the surface of the sea. The dark silt. The question will never be answered. If there is even a question. And that even supposes there's an answer. We had this underground fire in our neighborhood. Nobody knew how it started. A vacant lot. And you see these little wisps of smoke come drifting out of it. Nobody could walk over this ground because the earth was so hot. And there were rumors around, a lot of rumors, that kids had fallen in one time when they were chasing a fly ball out in deep right field. And they started to run across the underground fire. And it just sucked them in. A great ancient primal subterraneous 
Yeah. Hellfire, if you prefer it. If you prefer it, a geological phenomenon. But always, deep down under your feet, no matter where you're walking around, if it's Boston, if it's Yonkers, Fordham Road, San Francisco, Bangkok, Tokyo, Nome, Alaska, New Delhi, Shanghai, no matter where you walk, you're walking around, deep down under your feet, endless stretching, unimaginable miles below you, is this great raging hot ball, this fantastic, this core of enormous melted, what is it, lava? They say that there are gases in there that man has not even discovered. Why? Because the temperatures are much higher than anything we can even create. In fact, there are temperatures that approach the core of a nuclear explosion. Yeah. And the great fear is one day a crack will open. And it'll all start pouring out. A fantastic tidal wave of Endsville. Great, great hiss of steam and that'll be it. Then there are other theories that the Earth will just cool off. And so the theories go back and forth. But nobody drills the holes. And in Scranton, PA, a big crack goes wandering down the main street. The soil stands at a thousand degrees. And a wisp of smoke rises into the autumn air. It could smell it. as a strange, unearthly smell. And yet it is a total earth. Because it's the earth itself that's burning. <laughs> yeah, who knows the evil that lies in the heart of the earth. <laughs> Only the shadow knows. And he ain't laying it on you, friends. Mm -hmm.